we welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor, challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. Because we don't look at the scriptures in the light of Christ. So we have a problem understanding the consistency of the nature of God. Christ is the explanation of the scripture. Christ is the message of the scripture. And there's bound to be error when you look at anything God did in the absence of Christ. It's bound to be error. And so we have a lot of teachers running around and trying to remix the way God was. Oh God, no, then no, no. God is love. He didn't punish anybody. God didn't do anything evil. God, no, no, no. He, sin was always met with justice. Always. Just that in that time, there was no mediator. Because only God can do business with God. There was no God to do business with God on behalf of man. So man had to take his sin upon himself. But even that, it was in the love of God knowing that the Christ is coming and in the, in the price that Christ will pay, he will forbear, he will pass over the sins that have been previously committed. That's the significance of graves opening when Jesus died. Not when he rose, when he died. He died, they rose. Graves broke open. He died. The moment blood hit the ground, the moment blood came into the holy place, sin was judged and graves broke open. And people came out and saw their beloved and said, listen, where sin and death have kept us, we are free. That was the significance of that that resurrection. It was a type. It was a type. Are we together? So in his forgiveness, he's consistent. We just read Exodus 34, 7. Let's look at Psalm 103, verse 3. Psalm 103, verse 3. I said I'll look through a lot of scriptures. Stay with me. Psalm 103, verse 3. Who forgives all your iniquities? That's Paul. David, rather. Who forgives all? How many does he forgive? So God has been consistent in his forgiving nature. Always. He's been forgiven. He's been consistent. Isaiah 43, 25. Isaiah 43, 25. I, this is God speaking, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. That's the boast of God. God said, I am clearing your transgressions because of me. Not because of you. Not because of repentance. Not because of contrition. Not because of brokenness. Not because of sinner's prayer. But because of me. Not because of restitution. Not because of penance. I am I, even I, am the Lord who blots out your transgressions for my name's sake. And I will not remember your sins. So I repeat, I said it yesterday, I said it on Friday, any man of God imputing a sin to you that God is not imputing is an antichrist. Because God has amnesia when it comes to your sins. He's consistent in his forgiveness. Can somebody say amen? Because Christ is the amen of God. He's consistent in his forgiveness. He has not changed. God is consistent in his compassion. 
We saw that again in Exodus 34, that same scripture in verse 6. He's consistent in his compassion. Exodus 34, 6, New King James. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Psalm 25 and verse 6. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been ever of old. How does the NLT put it? Remember, O Lord, remember, O Lord, your compassion and unfailing love, which you have shown from long ages past. Flip to the message if you have it in this text and let's see it as well. Mark the milestones of your mercy and love, God. Rebuild the ancient landmarks. Mark the milestones of your mercy and love. They have been of ages past. Lamentation 3, 22 and 23. We read that earlier. The steadfast love of the Lord never cease. His, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Paul also says in Second Corinthians chapter 1, Verse 3 and 4. Does this sound like a Bible study tonight? Second Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this. The Father of mercies. Switch to King James. I think King James or NLT says the Father of compassion. King James. The Father of what? Mercies. And the God of all comfort. Keep going. Who comforteth us. Go back to New King James. Who comforts us in all our tribulation. I love that. That we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's so beautiful. NLT, back to verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. So it turns out your tribulation is an avenue for you to be ministered the comfort of God so that you can then minister it to somebody who is going through something when they are going through it. God is consistent in his compassion. He's also consistent in his faithfulness. Psalm 119 and verse 90. He's consistent in his faithfulness. He says, your faithfulness extends to every generation as enduring as the earth you created. Second Timothy 2.13, we saw that earlier. If you are faithless, he remains Faithful because he cannot deny himself. God is also consistent in his plan. He's consistent in his plan. Psalm 33, 11. But the Lord's plan stands firm forever. His intentions can never be shaken. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life mm. which God who does not lie promised them so before the world began God had promised us eternal life the world therefore began to bequeath the eternal life that God already planned for us we have the confidence of eternal life because God who does not lie promised us who believe 
from before the world began. See how far the salvation plan has lasted. So God is consistent. We agree? From all these scriptures we've seen, consistent in his love, in his justice, in his mercy, in his forgiveness, in his compassion, in his faithfulness, and in his plan, including primarily his plan for salvation. Now, it turns out that we are created in his image, right? Genesis 1, 26, 27, 28, we are created in his image and after his likeness. I've shared that before. I've written about it in my book. The image of God is twofold. It, 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 it suggests the nature and the character and the attributes of God, especially the attributes of God that are communicable, right? And then we also know that the culmination of the image of God is Christ. So God consulted Christ when creating man. God created man Christ because Christ, according to Hebrews 1.3, is the express image of his person. So uh, uh, Christ is the mirror of God. Christ, we've said in this house over and over, Christ is what God looks like. No man has seen God at any time because he dwells in unapproachable light. And so to appreciate God is to see Christ. To see Christ is to appreciate God. When Philip asked him, show us the Father and it will be okay for us, Jesus said to them, have you been with me this long and you do not see me? For anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So Christ is the reflection, express reflection of the Father. And when we talked about the word, the power and believer, I think it was when I talked about that, I talked about Christ being the logos of God. Was it in that teaching? Like the entire thoughts, images, plans, perceptions, culmination, abilities of God are captured in Christ. So Christ is how God thinks. Christ is how God loves. Christ is how God gives. Christ is how God forgives. Christ is how God acts. Christ is how God prays. Christ is how God connects. Christ is how God shines. Christ is the ability of God made manifest. Christ is the attribute of God. Christ is the character of God. Christ is the attitude of God. Christ is the comportment of God. Christ is the emotion of God. Christ is the sentiment of God. Christ is the provision of God. Christ is the defense of God. Christ is the justice of God. Christ is the compassion of God. And therefore, Christ is the consistency of God. The nature of God is encapsulated in its totality in Christ. So a man cannot be said to be in Christ and not exhibit the fullness of the nature of God. Because the nature of God is Christ. It is therefore a problem for us to have sons of God who say they are in Christ and Christ is in them and the nature of God is not seen. That's why we saw 1 John chapter 2. If you say you walk you live in Christ, then you should live your lives as he lived his. Because Christ is the image of God. And therefore consistency is a nature is the nature of God. In fact, it is one of the major attributes of God. The fact that he's consistent. Anything that is inconsistent, pastor, is unreliable. You cannot rely on something or someone that is not consistent. So the difference between somebody who can be depended on and somebody who cannot be depended on is not even skill. It's not experience. It's not age. And it is not anointing. It's consistency. What makes God God 
is the fact that in spite of his omnidynamism, he's consistent. That's why scripture can herald Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's why my favorite song of Travis Green is who you were is who you are. Who you are is who you will always be. Truer words have never been spoken. Who you are is who you are. Who you are is who you've always been. So if we walk in the nature of God, we cannot afford to be inconsistent. Because inconsistency is at odds with the nature of God as revealed in Christ. Is it helping anybody? In the old dispensation, even before the cross, those guys had a knowledge or two about consistency. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 26. New King James. And the child Samuel grew in stature. And stature is not height. Not, figure, not literally, at least. Figuratively. Stature is to, is to have is something that is of dense value. Something that is dense. The child grew in stature. He grew day after day. Interestingly, we'll come to that. This same verse... This exact same verse was said of Jesus. So it turns out this verse was not about Samuel. Maybe I should show you already. Luke 2, 54, 52. Luke 2, 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature. Now look at NLT here. So you see why the NLT guys did not quite understand that it was this versus Christ. So in Samuel's case, they said he grew taller. But in Jesus' case, they didn't say Jesus grew taller. In Jesus' case, they now translated stature as stature. In the same way, ah man, I don't have time. David is quoting stuff. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Hebrews comes and quotes it. What is man that thou art mindful of him? That you made him. Yeah? And then Hebrews comes and quotes the same thing of Jesus. But sometimes when you're reading them, especially in some of these guys that translate without insight. So you dismiss, he grew in. So we miss Samuel as a type of Christ. Because he was. He was the first mediator, remember? He was the first mediator. Samuel was priest, he was prophet, he was judge, remember? 1 Kings 18, 41 to 44. And then Elijah said to Ahab, you, know, you, you all know the story, go up, eat and drink. For there is the sound of the abundance of rain. We're looking at the consistency of God in Christ, right? 42, so Ahab went up to eat and drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Camel. Same place that he killed all those guys. Then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, go up now, look towards the sea. So the servant went up and looked and he said, what? There's nothing. And seven times he said, Go again. Stay in verse 43. NLT. Then he said to his servant, go out and look towards the sea. The servant went and looked and then returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. 
Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Seven times. If you want to interpret seven times literally, or you want to interpret it figuratively, suit your imagination. But it just calls the question, how many times could you have been sent to look for what the Lord has said? And you say, I don't see anything. And maybe the fifth or sixth time, you give up. How many times have you, would you admit that you've given up too quickly? Where patience has failed to have its full work because we didn't want to be consistent enough. I'm sure he went as many times as it took for Elijah to hear that something had been seen. So if it was the seventh time he didn't see anything, trust me, by the eighth time Elijah would have sent him straight back. Watching over the Lord's word to see that it comes to pass. Ninth time, a hundred times, it would have gone as many times as it took because Elijah was convinced there was something that was going to show up because God had led him to tell Ahab that there was a sound of rain. And go back to that scripture. As soon as, in verse 44, verse 44, finally the seventh time his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. Elijah kept at it until he saw. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. Now when Daniel knew, this is Old Testament guys, right? And Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. That was the writing that said that anybody who prayed to any other god except Darius, yeah, would be thrown to the lions. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. The significant shift in Daniel's situation did not alter his consistency. Imagine just being told that if you pray to any other God right now except the king, you'll be thrown to live lions, not cartoon lions, real lions. That is a good excuse for you to not pray. And Daniel, who had no Holy Spirit, who had no cross, who had no redemption, in the face of adversity, he went and faced his window. Are we saying you should pray three times a day? That's not what we're saying. That's not the the thrust of the message. That's not the context of that text. But we're showing you that in the midst of adversity, somebody was consistent in his service to God. Lions did not change it. In the New Testament, consistency, therefore, is the nature of the sons of God. In the New Testament, consistency is the nature of the sons of God through Christ, who is our pattern son. We have seen that God is consistent, right? In his love, in his justice, in his forgiveness, in his, in his plan, in, in, in his mercy. And we've seen that we were created in the image of God and the image of God is Christ and if God is consistent then Christ is the consistency of God and if any man be in Christ he's a new creation all things are passed away he becomes new so now as we are in Christ we ought to walk as Christ walked which means we ought to be as consistent as he was are we getting this if we give up too soon then what's up for us 
Imagine if Jesus had stretched out on the cross and actually, because all through his ordeal, he had a choice. All through. When he told them in Gethsemane, do you think I could not call my father now and he would send legions of angels? So even God who sent Jesus to die could have easily bailed Jesus out if Jesus had said, I no do again. Has anybody ever thought about it? Except if Jesus was referring to a different father. On the cross, when they were taunting him and saying he saved others, he cannot save himself. Even the guy on the other cross was saying the same thing, right? Save yourself and save us now. What was this? Me, I didn't even think about this crucifixion because I knew that the moment I heard I was being crucified with you, I knew that I would not die. Now, why are you falling in my hand? That's what that guy was saying. Why are you disappointing me? The moment I heard that I was going to share cross space with you, I had, I had hope. Now save yourself and save us. And Jesus still had the chance to do so. But he didn't. That's what the writer says. He endured the cross. Despised the shame. Christ was consistent. He is the pattern son. Hebrews 13 verse 8. Thank you father. Jesus Christ is the same. Jesus Christ. Yesterday. Today and forever. How does the message put this, this text? For Jesus doesn't change. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, he's always totally himself. So it's dynamic, but it's consistent. Same today as he was yesterday, same tomorrow as he, Jesus. You know, it, it, it's, it's, I'm, I'm trying to round up in time so we can be done and gone, and here, gone out of here in a few minutes. But you see, it's, it's also dangerous to think of God in terms of time and space. It's very dangerous. Because these things limit our understanding of God. It's difficult to think of him in, time, in terms of time and space. Because you see, today, tomorrow, and yesterday, today, forever, is all for our human comprehension. Because with him, there is no yesterday, today, tomorrow. Everything is immediately in his his presence. Everything. God does not need to travel to examine the past. He doesn't need to travel. He doesn't need to turn left to see it. He doesn't need to turn left. He doesn't need to turn right to see the future. That's why in the Greek, he's not called Alpha and Omega. There's no and in the Greek. He's Alpha, Omega. There's a difference. Alpha and Omega means you start a journey from somewhere, ending, going somewhere else. You start from the beginning, going to the end. Alpha and Omega means he, that's why it says he, he, he is the beginning. He is the end. He's the straddle of eternity. All at once. He does not need to travel to the past. He does not need to journey to the future. All of it is immediately in his presence. That is why he does not know what sleep and slumber are. Because sleep and slumber are determined in terms of time and seasons. Do you understand? It's, it's because of time and seasons that you sleep. It's because of time and season that you're tired. Now, because you've had a long day, and according to the order of life, the night time is coming for you to sleep. Not for you to stay up and pray. You now get home, you now start feeling bad because you cannot stay up for two hours and pray. You are staying up on your prayer and you are hating God for a brief moment. But you have to feel like you are righteous. 
So if he giveth his beloved sleep and he has to take away the sleep so he can stay up and pray and fight principalities and powers, then what kind of bipolar God is that? Because he created the night time for sleep. Not for prayer. Can you pray at night? Oh, absolutely. You can pray at night just as you can pray in the day. The prayer is not more powerful at night. It's not less powerful in the day. Oh, you have to stay awake so you can pray when the witches are active. Wow. Amazing. You're very deep. So you think it's your prayer that is keeping the witches when he's plotting out transgressions for his own sake. You think it's your own prayer. So if you don't pray, the witches will be active. Mm-hmm. And David then, David then, as twisted as he was, Psalm 3 says, I lay me down and I slept. And I, I woke for the Lord sustains me. David. Me, I will now come. And I'll be watching over myself when the Lord that keepeth me neither sleeps nor slumbers. I should not be up keeping myself. Now what is God doing? What is Jesus doing? David can lay down and sleep. I will not be afraid of tens of thousands of people that set themselves against me round about. How are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many are they that say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. My glory, no Jesus, no cross. No, David said God is his glory. The lifter up of my head. David. The Lord is my keeper. The Lord is my shade at his right hand. The Lord that keepeth me neither slumbers nor sleep. David. Me now. Christ me. He's consistent. And I have his nature. So I am consistent. Christ was consistent in his obedience to the Father's will. Matthew 26, 39. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. King James says, not my will, but thine be done. It was consistent. See verse 42. Same text, 42. Again, a second time, he went away. And prayed, saying, Oh my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, it will be done. See verse 44. So he left them and went away again. Same text. And prayed the third time, saying, Same words. I mean, by now you would have thought, Ah, ah God, I asked you about the cup. You didn't answer me. Okay, change the kind of cup. Give me a smaller cup. You didn't answer me. What kind of God are you? I thought you said you, you, you love me. And when my father and mother forsake me, you are going to be with me. And very quick, sometimes we abdicate. Because it doesn't look like we're getting results. I remember as a child, I was very inquisitive. Very inquisitive. You told me about planting stuff. And when I plant a seed, I'm sure some of you did it. It will germinate. And you plant a seed of beans or, or mango or something. And then you water it and you're excited. 
And then you went to school. You came back from school in the afternoon. And you're angry that the thing hasn't germinated. Has it happened to anybody? You remove it. And you are angry at the seed. You put it back, it dies. And I'm telling you, you give it a few days. So you manage to go one day. You came and you looked at it and you tried to raise, you practice self-control. You now waited for the second day. But the third day, it is itching you all over the place and you're like, you don't dig it up and behold, it had just started to sprout. And it dies. Me, I have a PhD in experiential agriculture. You understand what I mean by experiential? After, after a while, you knew just how long it would take for beans to show up. How long it would take for mango, experiential agriculture. Just like I have a PhD in experiential electronics. I opened my father's radio. Why, why, what, what is making the radio work? Radio wasn't bad. We just opened it. To see how it is working. And then you couple everything back and there's three screws on the table. <laughs> you look at the time. It's 20 minutes for that to come back from the office. You know you are screwed. You don't carry some of your pocket money and go and give the electronics guy down the road to quickly open it and couple it back. Or you hide the screws. And then you use the tuner and use the tuner and instead of running smoothly, you think it's crackling. You know the tuner? It's not, you know those sharp 555. Oh, you don't know what I'm talking about. You know them big, those big sharp 555 boxes? Yeah, before turntables came. You know, you have the tuner, then you have the fine tuner. And then we're too impatient. We're too impatient. In the face of adversity, we're quick to give up. It says, if you fail in the days of adversity, your strength is weak. Jesus was consistent in his obedience to the Father's will. John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, because when they asked him, has he had any food of which we do not know? You know, when they came back after his conversation with the Samaritan woman, and he said, you know, has he had any food? He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He was consistent in his obedience to the Father's will. He didn't waver. John chapter 3 and verse 30. 30. John said of Jesus that he must increase and I must decrease. I feel sorry for the end of John's ministry because he wasn't consistent in his revelation, in his insight of who Jesus was. He wasn't. It's painful. It's a lesson for us in consistency. If John, John was the one who by the Spirit of God, John opened his mouth and said that the Spirit of God, God said to me that who the Spirit of God through me will identify is the Son of God. So at the moment that John by the Spirit picked up Jesus and the moment he said, behold the Lamb of God, the next day, John 1, 29, and his disciples left him to follow Jesus, John would have been ahead of his disciples following Jesus. John should have led his disciples to Jesus. He said, Master, here is me and mine. What will, what will you have us do? But he was still trying to be a GO of Repentance Ministries International. Not realizing that Repentance Ministries International packed up at the moment that the remover of sins, International Eternal Ministries, showed up. He who forgives sins, he who removes sins eternally, has shown up. You who are baptizing for repentance that does not forgive or remove sin, Fold up and follow the person that you prophesied about. Here's how his head comes off. Go and ask Jesus. Are you he who was to come? Or should we expect another? What kind of thing is that? John, same guy. Ask him to go and ask Jesus. Are you the Messiah? Or should we be expecting another? Just because the Messiah did not break him out of jail. Cut his head. Send him home. Send him home. And that was the tragic end of John the Baptist. But he started off well. He 
will increase. I must decrease. He was consistent. He says, may I baptize you for just repentance? But he, he is coming who will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So John is there in Jordan and he sees Pentecost in Acts 2. Right there in Jordan. He's coming. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And you didn't leave your own baptism and follow the person. So Christ was consistent. John wasn't consistent in his understanding of the place of Christ. And that's what happens to us sometimes. We start off well and we derail. Because we come upon a hard time. And the scripture that you believe should work for you didn't work for you. The person that should favor you didn't favor you. The church that should help you didn't help you. So you get angry and begin to question the veracity or the authenticity of what God is doing just because he didn't patronize your need at that point in time. And it just might be that the whole idea of the need is to teach you perseverance. That perseverance can build character. That character can produce hope because that hope is what makes it not ashamed. We have a lot to learn about consistency. Let me finish this. Christ was consistent in his obedience to the Father's will. John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So if we're going to walk as Jesus walked, it means that we are not pursuing our will, but his will. If you're pursuing your will at the expense of his will, you are not living a life of the Christ that is in you. It's that simple. For some people, it drives home. For some other people, it's just what you're saying. Christ was consistent in character. Christ was consistent in character. Luke 2, 52. The child Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Let's see how the message puts this thing. I've never seen it before, but let's just see. And Jesus matured. I like it. Growing up both body and spirit. Christ was consistent in character. He grew in wisdom and stature. Amen. Christ was consistent in his compassion. And I could teach on this all night. The word for compassion, the Greek word for compassion, is a word that means a deep sense of of empathy, a deep sense of connection for somebody's suffering. That's the word for compassion. A deep sense of responsibility, a deep sense of response for somebody's suffering. That's compassion. In other words, when somebody that is linked to you is going through something and you feel their pain as though it was you going through it. That's compassion. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a dimension of God that a lot of believers lack. Needs are not met because there's not enough compassion. It's not because there's not, not enough money. Where there's enough compassion, compassion will pull resources. The school fees of yours that is not due till May can pay somebody's exam fee now if you're compassionate. Compassion and selfishness are polar opposites. They are two parallel lines they cannot meet. Needs are not met in the house just because there is not enough compassion not because there is not enough money can i say that again needs are not being met in the house not because there's not enough resources but because there's not enough compassion compassion is that deep sense of responsibility you feel when somebody else is going through something that's compassion and it was a hallmark of the ministry of jesus jesus was compassionate and he was consistent at it matthew 9 36 But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Matthew 14, 14. Just a few chapters down the road. Matthew 14, 14. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with and healed 
they are sick. Next chapter, Matthew 15, 32. Are we seeing consistency? Matthew 15, 32. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and he said, I have compassion on the multitudes because they now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Every time Jesus did something, he was moved by compassion. Supply came because he was compassionate. Not compassion comes because you have, you have supply. Supply comes when there's compassion. Compassion is that sense of responsibility and deep-seated feeling for what somebody else is going through. And most times we don't have compassion. We don't have empathy. You know, James says, what, what, what good is it when somebody comes to you and says, I'm hungry? And you say to them, be filled. Be filled. What have you done? Jesus was compassionate. Look at Galatians 6, 1 and 2. So you can see that as sons of God, we have or we ought to have the spirit of compassion. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ and so walk in grace because grace is the law of Christ. Ephesians 4.32, we should walk in compassion for one another. Ephesians 4.32, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted to one another, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ Forgive you. Put it up in the NLT. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. First Peter 3 and 8. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted. That's the word for compassionate. And keep a humble Attitude, New King James, same verse, very quickly. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be cautious, have compassion. Compassion will always compel resources. When you take personal responsibility for that which pertains to someone, resources show up to deal with it. At that point, you are no longer interested in where the resources come from. You will dig into your private stash. You will beg, borrow, rob a bank, in a manner of speaking, to make sure that a need gets met. You take responsibility for it. It's compassion. When there's compassion, there's supply. Always try it. Allow yourself to be moved. And most times, we are, it's selfishness that helps, that aids us in allowing compassion to not move us. You don't want to feel because you know that you know that the moment you feel, you cannot control it. And because you don't want to lose control, you refrain yourself from feeling. And that's not the spirit of Christ. Because if he was not moved by compassion, you and I would not be here. And if we are here as a result of his compassion, then it behooves us to act and walk and think and talk and give in response to compassion. Do we understand that? There's two more points after this thereabouts and we're done. Colossians 3, 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. Switch to the NLT, same verse, 3 and 12. Make allow, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with 
tender heart and mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. First John 3.17, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Message, if you see some brother or sister in need and have the means to do something about it, but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing. What happens to God's love? It disappears and you made it disappear. And I've said over and over, there's nobody that does not have something to give. No son of God. Christ was consistent in his compassion. He was also consistent in his understanding of his suffering. Hebrews 2.10, right? It was fitting for him in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of the salvation perfect through suffering. Hebrews 12 and 3. Hebrews 12 and 3. Christ was consistent in his understanding of his suffering. We should understand that a lot better now, having come from purpose in our pain, in all things God. We should understand that very well. Hebrews 12 and 3. Think of all the hostility Jesus suffered from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up just because you are suffering hostility. Can you see the pattern? Put it back from, from the first line. Think of all, go back to verse 2, start from verse 2. Yeah, Afrontes, right? We do this by keeping our eyes, remember? But we see Jesus, yeah? The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy that was set before him, King James says, he endured the cross, disregarding the shame, now he's seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Verse 3. Think of all the host, as you are seeing Jesus. Yeah, as you're looking onto Jesus. Think of all the hostility he suffered from simple people. And then you will not be weary and you will not give up. The message. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again. Item by item. That long litany of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. We have to be consistent in our understanding of suffering. Life doesn't change. God doesn't change. Your position doesn't change because you're suffering. You're not less a son of God because you have not paid your fees. Because you're kicked out of your house. Because you lost your car. Because you have a carryover in school. Because you're the one that they're always sending out for lack of school fees. Or because you're... We are consistent in our understanding of suffering because we know... That the testing of your faith worketh patience. So we understand that. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to 12. Paul says we are pressed. 2 Corinthians, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. That's the consistency of understanding suffering, right? We are perplexed, but we are not in despair. In despair. We are persecuted, not forsaken. Struck down, not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life of Christ might be manifested in our body. Keep going. We're going to verse 12. Jesus, for we who live are always delivered to death. Keep going. For Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. 12. So then, death is working in us. But life in you. Romans 5, 1 to 5, we know that already. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Verse 2, through whom we have also access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, remember this, 
but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Now, hope does not make ashamed because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That's our approach when we're going through with hard time. James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4, we know that all, now count it all joy when you go through, knowing that the testing of your faith walketh patience, therefore, verse 4, let patience have its full work or perfect work that you might be complete, lacking. These are the things you ought to remember when you're going through. Consistency in your understanding of suffering. Lastly, Christ was consistent in his message. We have talked about that in the understanding this gospel. He preached the gospel of the kingdom. Right? He didn't preach anything else. He went and preached the, God, the good news of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is among you. Matthew 4.23 Matthew 9.35 He went about in Galilee teaching in all the synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom same thing matthew 9 35 says the same thing so paul in galatians 1 is on this premise that he says if anybody comes to you with any other gospel right let him be a curse galatians 1 6 to 12 and the same thing in first corinthians 15 where he says for i received i delivered to you that which i first received the whole of first corinthians 15 captures the gospel lastly Christ was consistent in good works. Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good for the Lord was with him. And then Galatians 6 says, therefore you, before that, Ephesians 2, 10 says, but you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works in which God preordained that you should walk in them. Galatians 6 and verse 2, yeah? Galatians 6, 9 says, Be not weary in well-doing, 6, 9. Let's not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Last scripture for the day, Titus 2, 7 and 8. In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine Showing integrity, reference, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned. Are we believers at all? Are you seeing this in the scriptures? Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. So they may speak about you evil behind your back, but when they speak with you, what you come out of you is sound speech that cannot be condemned. Not cursing, not anger, not evil, not malice, not contention, not strife, not jealousy, not any of those stuff that doesn't edify, but sound speech that cannot be condemned. That's our, our place of songs. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.